Welcome to a special episode of the Science and the City podcast, presented by the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science at the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, David Hoffman. This is the third in a series that's looking at how the Sackler Institute has been working to create a global research agenda for nutrition, a kind of roadmap to help guide researchers to the most pressing questions in the field, both about the science of how, what, and why we eat, and also how to best feed the world's exploding population. A key feature of this agenda is that it's designed to encourage multidisciplinary collaboration. It was created by the Sackler Institute, the World Health Organization, and a collection of leading scientists representing a broad cross-section of the multitude of fields that make up the study of human nutrition. And now that it's been created, a new and even more diverse group has been assembled to strategize about the most effective way to activate it. Research scientists, of course, and governments, and the large international nonprofits that are referred to as NGOs, and also representatives from agriculture and the food industry, the companies who actually produce, process, and distribute what we eat. This kind of multidisciplinary approach is traditionally really unusual in science, but it's crucial here for a number of reasons that have to do with the nature of nutrition as a field of study. Here's Dr. Franz Koch, head of the Division of Human Nutrition at Wageningen University in the Netherlands. Now, nutrition is a, is a, a very complex field to begin with, and it has many, many uh, aspects. I mean, first of all, a lot of ingredients, uh, you know, uh, nutrients, non-nutrients, uh, other bioactive compounds that are all uh, in our daily nutrition. Um, that's one thing. So second is that, um, you know, having these different scientific uh, angles, uh, how you can study uh, the influence of nutrition on well-being, on health, on, on uh, chronic diseases, etc., etc. So you have many, many scientific disciplines that are relevant here. A further complication, which we also spoke about in a previous podcast, is that when you begin to apply this research to what are referred to as nutritional interventions, that is, trying to either supply people with food or to change the decisions they make about what they eat, this need for interdisciplinary collaboration balloons exponentially into agriculture, manufacturing, logistics, even marketing and psychology. There's hardly a field of expertise that isn't involved. Because at the end of the day, we are eating diets. We are not eating individual uh, components. And these, these dietary patterns are, in, in total, uh, very crucial for a, a good health. To look at it in a more comprehensive and a more also uh, interactive uh, way, eh? more, uh, let's say, cross-disciplines and uh, multidisciplinary, that's, of course, uh, a real benefit. The problem is that scientists aren't used to working this way. And the reason really has to do with what science is and how it works on the most fundamental level. Here's Dr. Mandana Arabi, Executive Director of the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science. The scientific method teaches you, yes, to define things and to try to limit the factors and try to just show from point A to B how can you, you know, move and what would be the effect size of a certain intervention introduced to that model. That's you, you're supposed to test hypotheses. That's actually, if you don't have a good hypothesis, that's very limited, very clear research question that says, I want to show item A affects item B with a good amount of certainty. 
then you can't really have a scientific approach. So, and that's all valid. I think that's important. That allows you for maximum objectivity. But then how to translate that into things that are real world issues. Now, this sounds like a problem. Limited thinking, not seeing the big picture, missing the forest for the trees. But the truth is the scientific method is arguably one of the most important things humanity ever invented. It says that you have to pick a single question that's as small and specific as you can possibly make it, your hypothesis, and test it as directly as you can without interference from outside factors. For instance, how does a single nutrient interact with a particular type of tissue under a specific set of conditions? Asking those kinds of questions and then setting up experiments to test them is what science is. And it allows for a clarity of thinking that's impossible in any other way. It's a real challenge, though, when it comes to something like nutrition, to even set up a useful hypothesis, because there's never just one thing happening. It's always a web of hundreds or even thousands of interactions. This begins on the level of the basic biology of nutrients, how different foods actually interact with each other and with the body. Here's Dr. Stuart Craig, Director of Regulatory and Scientific Affairs at the Nutrition and Health Division of DuPont. That's the classic reductionist approach to science. And you look at one variable at a time, one component at a time, and then see how that perturbs the system. And it makes a lot of sense. I think we can all understand that. And it simplifies things. Biological systems are incredibly complex, and there are many interdependent pathways. So if you would imagine this huge uh, network of different pathways that that all almost play in a symphony and you you can adjust one component of it but then the whole pathway readjusts to compensate for that. Now also think of nutrients. So you may provide one nutrient or remove one nutrient unless it's an essential nutrient. The body has a way to compensate for that. These fail-safes are one of the reasons that nutrition experiments often suffer from a problem called heterogeneity of response, meaning that you can do the same experiment at different times or on different people and get very different results. Here's Dr. Araby again. It's relatively high as compared to response to a specific antibiotic, for example, for a very specific microbial infection. There, you more or less can get uh, more controlled or more expected results from diverse populations. Because the agent is very specific, because the other factors affecting the uptake of your treatment are not that, as many or as diverse as it is in nutrition. Nutrition, everything is in the context of food and in the context of the behaviors of that individual. So many, many different things can affect the success of your medical intervention. And that makes it a lot harder to come up with, you know, silver bullet type of uh, solutions in the field of nutrition science. Sometimes it's that we don't really quite know how to conduct the experiment. Or we make certain assumptions about the population or the intervention. And then later on we realize that those assumptions were incorrect. So for instance, uh, you can look at, uh, some studies will, will show no effect. And you're surprised by that because you think you're really pretty sure there is something, but the error bars are so large. <laughs> And so you take a, a group of a cohort of people and put them on a placebo and a cohort and you put them on a test. And their response is so varied that 
any difference gets lost in the noise of the variation between each particular group. We need to think more about nutrition in a holistic way and how nutrients interact together. But that's incredibly challenging because now you're moving away from the reductionist approach and trying to design experiments where you're changing many things at once. Um, so all the problems that you might actually see within one more defined field in science, now you have to experience across the board with you know multiple different disciplines. All of them have to come together and have an understanding of the kind of cycle that starts from, well, this vitamin, what's its function, what's its molecular um, com um, composition, all the way to how does it work in a population in India versus a population in Mexico, and how do you make the programs work that we have optimal intake or we reduce the risk of deficiencies. So you really need to connect all the dots across the board, working with different disciplines across the board to make something happen that has an impact at the population level. It's, it's a real challenge, but it's a direction I feel that we have to go in order to get to the answers that we need in terms of, of what interventions work best. You might sum that up by saying that many of the challenges to building good experiments around nutrition have to do with the fact that the subjects are human. And so you can't isolate them and control them the way you can a lab rat or a sample in a test tube. Likewise, some of the problems with building the multidisciplinary approach we were talking about earlier exist because the scientists are human too. And sometimes people just don't want to work together. Science, particularly, has for a long time largely run on the model of not sharing your data until your experiments are over and your results are published. This is partially because the way to win awards and grants and prestigious professorships is to be on the team that first discovers something important. Opening up your notebook before the results are in can give an advantage to another team that's trying to solve the same problem. And one of the problems also can be is that each of us can bring our own bias. Uh, and somebody can be working on something for 20 or 30 years and even in the, in the face of mounting uh, evidence to the contrary, <laughs> They're just not going to change their mind because, in, in part, it's a human, you know, emotion that makes all the things that you did in the past seem like they were wrong. So you know, that can be that can be an issue in, in any walk of life, you know, any discipline of science. Is um, that we may come to the table with our own our own bias, and we have to. The first the first step can be to recognize that and to let that go and say, in order to focus on. Um, what we need to do going forward. There's also a further, more subtle and perhaps more difficult problem that involves bringing people to the table who often see each other as having different goals. Here's Dr. Koch again. There are uh, the researchers who are, you know, hesitant when it comes to collaboration in a public-private uh, partnership. They don't trust uh, commercial industries. And if you think about it, some amount of mistrust is understandable. The different stakeholders we're talking about do have what seem to be very different goals. To put it very simplistically, the research community wants to better understand the fundamental processes of how people use nutrients in their bodies. The public health community wants people worldwide to have access to more nutritious food and then also make healthier choices about what they eat. 
and the food industry wants people to buy their products. Here's Dr. Araby. As a medical doctor, when I started working in the public health, it was kind of an eye-opener for me to see not everybody is necessarily interested in knowing what's the best uh, scientific way of approaching issues. You know, that's not their guiding principle necessarily. People, different people have different guiding principles. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it creates a situation where the people who have control over all the different stages in the chain, from a scientific discovery about nutrition to a person making a choice about what they're going to eat for dinner, all have different perspectives and different goals. And so to get them all to work together, it's crucial to figure out where these goals overlap. One big important movement, I would say, in the field of nutrition science is really to connect much better with the food production side and the agriculture side. So this is an important area in general in the global agenda, but for us as well to see how there could be a feedback loop between you know, what nutrition wants to see at the individual level and what gets produced at the population level. And there hasn't been that many connections in the past. Um, you know, production is about feeding, about what sells in the market, is what's profitable. And nutrition recommendations come from a different paradigm. So trying to bring this together to look at what systems use to uh, measure their success and whether we can find some factors for measuring the success that are common between the two success systems. You know, I talk to industry scientists a lot, and when we talk about the research agenda, they say this global research agenda is great, but this is a public health research agenda. Um, help us understand how this applies to us and whether supporting this research, you know, this global research agenda, would eventually help us in finding those market-based solutions. And that's then our job. I think that's something that we can, with some engagement and uh, you know, identifying the specific results that could come out of addressing these research questions in the global agenda, um, we can show them that, yes, there is potential. You know, the fact that we don't know, for example, what is the best package of interventions for pregnant women to have the best, most optimal birth outcomes, for example. This is something that would be of great interest to public health intervention um, designers and programmers. And, you know, the industry can see a role for themselves to ensuring that the best, most, you know, highest quality and highest standards of uh, products are actually uh, uh, reaching these populations that are vulnerable. So by aligning to this global research agenda, by aligning to the bigger public health agenda, they will actually be able to establish their niche in a much more effective and much more scientific and evidence-based way. There are definitely things that each of the communities we're talking about, academia, public health, government, and industry, can gain by working together. Some of these have to do with the creation of public health recommendations. For industry, for instance, it's really important to stay on top of the latest thinking in nutrition, because as we learn more about health and the body, those recommendations can sometimes take an abrupt turn. And then that can cause the kinds of food products people are demanding to purchase to also change abruptly. One of the, cha one of the challenges in nutrition is that the recommendations have not always been consistent. From the, from the public policy standpoint. So when there was this strong desire to, the recommendation to reduce fat, okay? So that was, that, 
and lived through that from, from, from the industry standpoint in terms of, okay, let's do that. Let's take the, take the products, even uh, um, signature products of, of the company, and develop a, re a reduced fat version. The question then becomes later on is, is that, is just reducing the fat really get you to where you need to be um, from a public health perspective? Yes, industry uh, in any field, uh, part of what they have to do is make a profit. But improving the nutritional profile of foods is an opportunity for everybody, including industry, uh, whether it be uh, on the crop side, uh, providing um, nutritionally enhanced crops or, or crops that can, that can uh, withstand drought uh, and you know, feed what is a, a tremendously growing population. And we're talking about 150,000 new uh, mouths to feed every day for the next 40 years, every day. <laughs> so how do we meet that challenge just on the, on the basic nutritional needs perspective based on the information we have? So the opportunity is that there's going to be a need for new, new solutions, new products, and, um, and we want to be there um, at the table. Relatedly, for the public health community, it's really important that they keep in mind the practicality of the recommendations that they make. And that, for instance, the food that they recommend people eat is actually available to them. You know, we make recommendations that are necessarily not going to be economically viable, right? And we don't even put it to the real-world test when we are actually making the recommendation. So what's the use of a very good public health recommendation that you even know it's not going to be adaptable to that content? And, you know, nutrition, just give you a, giving you an example. We say, yes, we have enough evidence. It's recommended that individuals consume fish, you know, once a week, let's say. That's a recommendation, for example, because we know it has omega-3 fatty acids, the animal source food, and that doesn't actually um, have the negative outcomes of some other types of animal source food. So it's a really good recommendation. It's great. We want to make that public health recommendation. But then somebody comes and actually does the calculation and says, by the way, if you actually want to produce enough fish for all the population in this country, for example, you're going to actually deplete the natural resources here. You're going to have even really negative environmental outcomes. So. It would have been great if there had been some interaction and conversation from the beginning before you came with this great public health recommendation that may not be really necessarily as beneficial as you thought. And then you could have come, you know, to a kind of happy medium saying, well, not now, but, you know, let's make this recommendation and this behavior a 10-year goal and let's find a pathway from, you know, now in 10 years going there and then work with the producers, work with the... I don't know, come up with, it could be any type of solutions. It could be new methods for breeding, it could be new methods for actually getting access to fish. So this actually could be defined in a much you know, more, more collaborative and bigger context. This problem is then further compounded by the unavoidable fact that it's not just human beings who are creating these interventions and activating them, it's human beings who are receiving them. Meaning that even if you have a great hypothesis and work out an effective experiment to test it, and this shows that it's absolutely true, for instance, that people should be eating more fish, and then you're somehow able to work out all of these practical problems, producing enough fish and bringing them to market, people still have to want to buy them.
and want to eat them, or they'll just sit in the market untouched. For example, iron capsules. We know they work, they're great. But we introduce it in a country public health system, we don't see a lot of change in people's, in, you know, in women's iron status. Why? We can actually use science to identify the pathways through which this intervention is supposed to work, and then engage the scientists who can help us evaluate those systems so that you know, we can find out where the bottlenecks are. Is it people's perception or that you know, tablets are not good? Is it because um, you know, there were side effects, because the diets of these people has other things in it that doesn't allow for absorption? Is it because um, you know, they don't have access to good quality sources of iron in, in, from other food sources? So all of that can actually be put into a framework for decision-making that would help us make really good decisions that are not really coming only from one perspective, but they actually take into consideration different perspectives um, that are needed for the success of interventions. And that difficult reality, that in order to have an effective intervention, you need to understand the needs and desires of everyone along the supply chain, from farmer to wholesaler to retailer to consumer, makes an interdisciplinary approach even more crucial and necessitates the inclusions of experts in fields that seem at first to be dramatically far removed from the traditional biochemical focus of nutrition science. And part of it has been because we haven't necessarily esteemed those as scientific enough or we haven't involved those stakeholders who would have really very different you know, interests, different outcomes in mind. And that's something that I feel we could contribute to in really opening doors to different constituencies. And I think it's a good time in nutrition because increasingly you see people are concerned about the future of this planet, about the future of the food system, about their own nutrition. And that's something we can build on. It's a great time that everybody has an interest in this. And we shouldn't really miss that opportunity. So there are plenty of things we're already anticipating, or at least hoping for, as positive outcomes of this agenda and the collaborative process that's being utilized to activate it. In the end, though, the very best things to come out of it will probably be things we can't anticipate. Because this heavily interdisciplinary approach is so new, and so different from the traditional reductionism of science, it has the potential to yield results that are entirely new also. Here's Dr. Craig again. So I think, I think the, the process of bringing all these stakeholders together and the, the unique perspectives that each stakeholder brings and being able to hear you know, first of all, listen to how other people are viewing the situation and then also have the opportunity to tell it from your own perspective. I think from that, I hope that from that will come unexpected um, solutions that we wouldn't have been able to determine by ourselves. Because whether it's a solution in, in implementing something that we already know, uh, because in underdeveloped, countries. Sometimes it's just a question of you know, how do you get the basic nutrition we already know to the people that need it. On the other end of, of the equation is what can we discover by working together uh, that's, that's brand new. And here's Dr. Araby. Well, first of all, the development of the agenda was um, designed in a way that we would engage as many sectors as possible, as, as many scientists as possible. So we did have um, a very broad um, 
you know, interaction with different scientists from different disciplines. And the agenda itself reflects that. You know, the research questions are really not just very specific nutrition-oriented research questions. We actually have research questions related to um, the context that the nutrition interventions have to function in and um, bigger environmental and societal factors affecting nutrition, as well as um, really basic science questions related to biology of a certain nutrient or um, you know, vulnerability of a certain population to deficiencies. So it's broad and it means the research questions need to be actually addressed by engaging a broad uh, group of scientists from different disciplines. Otherwise, the research agenda would not actually move forward. You know, the, we all start from the same point saying we acknowledge that the problems are there. What we want to then convince them is the way to address these problems is not just by saying, oh, my product is really the best solution. Just have this tablet and you will you know, take care of the problem of malnutrition. We have tried that path. We know there is no silver bullet, no single intervention for nutrition issues. As I said, this is kind of just the nature of nutrition problems. It's going to be more than one. It has to be a big agenda that addresses an array of issues. So let's invest in this big kind of system-oriented way of addressing these problems. And that would allow you to find your place and your space and to be able to kind of jump in when the opportunity is open. When the evidence tells us this is what needs to be done, then you can easily say, I have the best supply chain, I have the best kind of R&D. You're going to actually develop the best solution that addresses that. And Dr. Koch. The good thing of such an agenda, a global research agenda, is that you in the way the Secular uh, Institute for Nutrition has organized this, uh, with, with the different stakeholders, uh, with the different parties, to uh, identify together uh, the major issues that are currently, uh, say, emerging uh, and existing. And um, with, if you have you try and get the noses, as we say in the Netherlands, is you try to get the noses in the same direction and you can identify the major research questions and themes that are crucial to be uh, addressed, then I think you, uh, you are focusing on uh, where the research should go, where uh, implementation should go, and how the different funding parties, uh, including the, uh, the, the food industry, uh, with academia can uh, go ahead. Uh, and I think that, that's the good thing of trying to define a global research agenda and activate this agenda as much as possible. Uh, this, we're talking about a growing population. <laughs> uh, how do we go from 7 billion to 9 billion? How do we address those extra mouths, 150,000 every day, um, and still have, ad, you know, adequate and safe water? Uh, there's not a whole lot of more fertile land out there to grow crops. How do you how do you do that in a sustainable way? And then, oh, and we haven't even touched on climate change and the effect that all of that can have. Not only you know we're talking about rising sea levels, but you know. Uh, land that was once fertile becomes no longer, you know, uh, capable of sustaining. So, so those kind of issues, we need new solutions, new thinking. So I think finally, what's important about bringing these different stakeholders together is 
uh, is not only, you know, it's, it's the next step beyond, okay, so I, I learned from your perspective, you learned from my perspective. So now, now what do we do? Okay, how do we, uh, if, if you don't like this solution, then what is a better one? Because not having a solution is not an option. Thanks to our guests in this episode, Dr. Stuart Craig of DuPont Nutrition and Health, Dr. Franz Koch of the Department of Human Nutrition at Wageningen University, and Dr. Madonna Araby of the Sackler Institute for Nutrition Science. This has been a production of the Sackler Institute and of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. For more information about the Sackler Institute's global research agenda for nutrition science, please visit nutritionresearchagenda.org. We welcome your comments on this or any Science in the City program by email to scienceandthecity at nyas.org.